stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! This week I do my best Jerry Seinfeld impression. Welcome to Motorsport 101, a show about nothing, apparently. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 84 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison. And, uh, whoa, this is a kind of an interesting episode this week because everyone and their mother was telling me that this show is going to be about absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> we had the Formula One race, an IndyCar race, and apparently they were both a set of nothing burgers. But Ryan King insists... Th- th- there is a lot to talk about on this show, isn't that right, Ron? <laughs> yes, yes. As as a New Yorker and as a Jerry Seinfeld fan, I know that a show about nothing could be highly entertaining. <sighs> see, see, my intro was actually better than I thought it was. I didn't realize I was appealing to a fellow New Yorker, like not fellow New Yorker, but a New Yorker and a Seinfeld fan. See, see, I was actually quite clever on this one. Go me! It's, it's, it's kind of hard to to be in New York City and not like Seinfeld. <laughs> you make a good point there. You make a very good point. But I've beaten around the bush long enough. I'm very happy to announce we have a, a guest on this week's episode. Sadly, RJ is not with us this week. Uh, good luck with the interview, man. I hope it works out. Uh, get, get that job money. But in the meantime, we have a guest. She is a first. This is the first time she's ever doing a podcast. May the good Lord help us all. <laughs> Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen, Elena Hicks. Woo! Say hi, Elena. Say hi. Oh, you can. You can, you can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Yeah, we're we're, we're doing well. Scr- scrambling to pull this together, mm-hmm. but we're doing well. We may or may not have had some small technical problems basically getting everybody into the Discord server to make this work. There may or may not have been like a one hour delay <laughs> in getting everybody in the Please room don't to make this me. <laughs> It, it took us a bit. It took us a little while, but we got there in the end. Like, like that's the important thing. Like, we we got there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Helena Hicks is here. Awesome, awesome journalist indeed. All over the place. But, all the good stuff. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, all the places you can find us. So we are on motorsport101.net. That is our website. And on there, you'll find all our social media. And that includes our YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow us personally on Twitter, we are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. And I believe yours is at underscore Helena Hicks. Is that right? Yeah, you got it. Got it in one. Sweet. You know where else you can find me? Fourth place on the World Fantasy IndyCar standings. Oh, for God's sake. Why? You're still talking about... You're like the most smug son of a bitch right now. In one one race, I went from 17th in the world to fourth. I'm going to win it all. (laughs) Remember these words, gentlemen. Remember these words. If (laughs) Kate... If King doesn't win now, I'm going to roast him at the end of the IndyCar season. Like you heard it here it's first, a, it's people. It's a long way to September, Dre. It's a long way. 
don't, don't, don't you think, like, don't you think I won't forget this? Because I will not forget this, I should say. Whoops. <laughs> my... Oh, God. My son English. Son of me, save that clip. It's like, don't think this, I, don't, don't think I'll forget this, King, and then I will. <laughs> We're off to a good start. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Oh, dear. Right. Speaking of which, like, let, let's let's get into the show, and let's get into Keeping It 101, and let's talk about our guest, shall we, for a little bit. Um, Elena, what, what on earth possessed you to be a motorsport journalist? Because I find that... I, I've, I've been trying to get into this space for a little while myself. I've been around it for a little while, and the whole thing just seems a little bit crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, it seems crazy to me, too. Um... <laughs> I discovered that I was really bad at science and maths, um, so mm-hmm. I kind of just left me with English. <laughs> to be no, fair, I'm kidding. Um, I was going to say for me, like it was the other way around. I was really good at maths, but terrible at English, and I couldn't do I couldn't do it at A level, and that kind of screwed me over from the start. Really, <laughs> no, um, I just I like writing. It's a bit sad, really, isn't it, to say that you like writing, but. I like English, and that's the way it is. Yeah, it's trust me. It, like that's not a bad way of thinking. Like I, I wished I, I really did. Like I was the maths guy. I, I loved the numbers. So, like the fact that, um, like I always wanted to be good at English, and it just never quite worked out for me. So, so when did you start properly, you know, writing about motorsport then? Um, I set up my blog this time last year, actually. Um, and it has snowballed so quickly into something that I could never have imagined when I first started out. So it definitely has gone pretty crazy pretty quickly. Wow. I didn't even realize you were that recent in the sense of you've only been doing this like for a year. That's kind of insane. I mean, especially when you put it into context, some of the cool things you've done in that same calendar year since. So t- t- tell the listeners at home, like what, what, like what have been the highlights for you so far since you got your blog started? Yeah. Ah, oh, um, well, obviously, the biggest highlight was probably winning the Sir William Lyons Award last year. Um, that got handed to me in January this year. And uh, people like Jonathan Noble, who is the F1 editor at mm-hmm. Motorsport.com, um, has won the award. So that, for me, was pretty crazy. And to only be the second girl to have ever won it. Wow, that's also kind of crazy. I didn't even realise that. That's a that's a very pretty good cool feeling. Yeah. Like what like did haven't you done work for Mercedes before as well? Yes. I've yeah, I've been lucky enough to spend um a bit of time with them, um, getting to see what it'd be like to be a press officer or events officer with them. So I am incredibly lucky to have done what I did with them and I can't wait for what's to come. Hmm. Like, could, could you get could you get me and King a job in there? Like, get 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 get, get, get the feet in the door if it comes down to it. You know, I'm as well. I, I'm more than I don't know. I have to. Ask <laughs> oh, oh, you're on, you're on first name terms with the boss now too. Excellent. <laughs> um, that's now we need to be German. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. But that, that, that could absolutely work though. But um, I mean, that is so cool. And you know, the fact like you're walking proof that it that it can be done. And we've talked on this show before about 
you know, the the influence of, of or the growing influence of women in motorsport. And I know you're a part of the Dare to Be Different program yourself. And so just how important yeah. is it to you to have a great to have a greater female influence, not just in motorsport also, but also in, in motorsport journalism as well? Oh, I've been saying this ever since I started out. There is a real lack of women in this sport. It's not that there's not women in the sport. It's that they're, I don't want to say afraid, but more concerned about being different, admitting and sharing the passion with people. Mm. Um, to a male-dominated industry because... You've got some really talented journalists and broadcasters out there. I mean, like my idols, Lee McKenzie, Jenny Gao. I I really do look up to them, and I'm really thankful that they've been encouraging, and not only to me, but to lots of young girls who want to get involved in the sport. Because otherwise, without them, I I think I'd be finding it a hundred times harder right now. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, you said like we're lucky in the sense that F1 has has got multiple like fantastic female broadcasters out there. I know you mentioned them again, Jenny Gao and Nikki Shields. I think does a fantastic job over in Formula E as well. Um, always been very impressed by her work as well. So hey, maybe one like if you ever thought about maybe being on TV yourself one day, or are you st- sticking to more behind the right? I don't think I've got the face to be on TV, but um, we'll see. Who knows. <laughs> I don't know about that one, um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, King, uh, do, you, do you still want to get into TV at some point? Uh, getting in the TV, uh, yeah, I, I'm. I would be open to it if if the opportunity came up. Mm. <laughs> like I would too. To be fair, like I, I'm. I've always been like the backbone of of me has been always been YouTube. So. I'd always be down for something like that if it came down to it. So, um, yeah, um, Channel 4, if, if you're hiring, you know, <laughs> send, send me a call. Like, yeah, I, 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 can, I can fit in the trend of tall presenters. I know you got Steve Jones and Mark Webber, and I'm 6'2". I, I, I can fit. I can fit in that in that mould. Like, I, I'm in there. Like, I, I can fit the aesthetic. But, um, yeah, awesome, 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 Helena. And, you know, obviously, keep up the great work because, again, the fact you've got... Yes. Yeah, like the fact you've got it to got it to that point in the space of a year, I think is just crazy. Like, like you've already done stuff that most journalists would dream of in their first like five, ten years of doing this. But you know, the fact you only did this twelve months ago and you're you're, you're making waves in the right places is really cool. So, you know, congrats and all that. And you know, I get to say firstly, congrats. That was really cool stuff. And yeah, like of course, hope to see hope to see some progression going on soon. That'd be really really cool. Um, King, King, what you got coming up next for for keeping it one on one this week? Then, uh, I, I think for, uh, what I'm going to talk about this week is well, Long Beach and not at all Long Beach. Ah, so you're talking about the fact that F1 may or may not, and now Maxi most probably not be going to Long Beach anytime soon. Yes. I actually I'm going to talk about Formula 1's first attempt to go to Southern California. Go on, I'm all ears. Well, for those who may not know, Southern California has do I say a close place in 
the history books in terms of American motor racing, because I would say besides the Midwest where Indianapolis is and New York City, Southern California is probably third when it comes to having the largest motorsports fan base, because uh, I think before the First World War, they actually hosted um, the then American Grand Prize at Santa Monica, the, the legendary Santa Monica Pier in Santa Monica, California, and it was on a rotating basis between Santa Monica and Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. There were two street races held in rotation with each other, and to me, that's probably like when the U.S. Grand Prix was most popular in mainstream America. Like, you could say that... Yes, people fawn over Watkins Glen in the in the sixties and the seventies, but it wasn't really that popular. And yes, Southern California has also produced some of America's great racing drivers, like Rex Mays, who tragically died young in his career, and and California has produced many, you know, great open wheel stars, including more recently Alexander Rossi. Yeah, he turned that all right last year, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he t- he turned out just just fine. But heading into the first attempt to build some state of the art facility for motor racing in Southern California, the first time that happened was in 1970 with a project known as Ontario Motor Speedway in Ontario, California. I think it was just 40 miles outside of Los Angeles and it was almost a uh, one-to-one scale replica of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway built in Southern California. So let me get this straight. They straight up tried to copy, or basically did copy, the Indy 500. <laughs> oh, with with the blessing of Holman George, the owner of the Speedway at the time. Like, Vic, like as a gift, Holman George gave to Ontario Motor Speedway uh, enough of the original bricks from Indianapolis Motor Speedway to line their uh, their victory lane. The like the victory circle was lined with the original with original bricks from Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Bloody hell. That, that, like, that is that is some interesting attention to detail right there. But there were two key differences in Ontario compared to Ontario and Indianapolis. Ontario was also, uh, it was a lane wider than Indianapolis, so it was the same layout but wider. And also the the short straights between you know uh, one and two and three and four were also banked, so speeds were much higher at Ontario. Jeez, that that sounds pretty crazy. So, King, I'm waiting for the bad news here. Uh, well, Dre, have you ever heard of Ontario Motor Speedway before today? Nope. <laughs> That's we're gonna get to that bad news very quickly, because Ontario Motor Speedway was state of the art, and it was built in only twenty two months. That's that sounds ridiculous. It was, uh, it was yeah. It opened in nineteen seventy. It was the first racetrack in the world with electronic timing and scoring, which is wow. like now ubiquitous today. It was the first. It was the first racetrack with uh, luxury boxes or like. Anything resembling a paddock club today was the first, you know, circuit with that. Um, it was meant to be the thing that would take racing to the next level. Because in the United States, we'd never had anything near a major city, let alone the second largest city in the country. Like, I think opening day for the Speedway was uh, 19... was November 1970. 
actually September 1970 with the inaugural California 500. It was an IndyCar race, and they like built it up so much they got so many. They got as many Hollywood stars as they could to show up for the race because they wanted Ontario to be the place to be because they invested so much money into this. Like uh, I think who were the movie stars that they had? I know they had uh they had uh. uh Garner, uh, he was the star of the 1966 film Grand Prix. Oh, yeah. Uh, they also had uh, John Wayne show up. Oh, uh, wow. Also, Kirk Douglas. Like, if you don't know Kirk Douglas, he played Spartacus in Stanley Kubrick's film Spartacus. Mm-hmm. And the California 500, the inaugural California 500, had the largest turnout on the calendar... On the IndyCar calendar, the only race that had a higher attendance was obviously the Indianapolis 500. Um, I'm guessing, like, I'm waiting for the wheels to fall off this, King. It hasn't quite happened yet. <laughs> yes, uh, they uh, they asked the FIA if they could host a uh, second U.S. Grand Prix besides Watkins Glen. The FIA said that, oh, if you host a non-championship race in the 1971 season, you could host a second U.S. Grand Prix if it goes well, and you decide to pay the fees to host the race. Next year, they host they host this non-championship Quester Grand Prix, because I think Quester Industries was the name of the company that built the track. Mm-hmm. So they host the race. Uh, they also knock it out of the ballpark. I think they had the second highest attendance of any race on the 1971 calendar, Despite being a non-championship race, only only the British Grand Prix had a higher attendance that year, and that race was also won by a then fairly young Mario Andretti as a rookie at Ferrari. Wow, that seems that seems pretty nuts. That does seem pretty nuts. Go on. <laughs> uh, they also got a race date on the NASCAR calendar and ended up being the second highest attended vet event on the NASCAR calendar, only second to the Daytona 500. And the race was a huge success, and they ended up being uh, the season finale on the NASCAR calendar until 1980. And unfortunately, things started to fall apart. I was going um, to say, Helena, this is going far too well. Are you getting this impression right now? <laughs> yes. yes. No, I, I'm... I'm... Yeah, no, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, so uh, I'm not kidding. Um. <laughs> th- th- things started to fall apart because the speedway was extremely expensive to build, and also um, the speedway was built using bonds. So they had to. It was basically a loan. They had to pay back the loan. So. Um, while the attendance to the Quester Grand Prix was great, it wasn't as high as they expected it to be. So they decided, yeah, that F1 race that we hoped for, yeah, we're just going to throw that away. We're not going to host it because it would be too expensive. We're not going to be able to make the money back fast enough. The California 500, uh, also the attendance started to trickle back. Like, yes, they were still getting massive crowds, but they couldn't make the money back. Oh... Dear, oh dear, NASCAR, oh dear. same story. Attendance great, but they couldn't make the money back. Little did they know <laughs> that um, the value of the land that the Speedway was sitting on had actually gone up 
by, I think, about ten times the, the value that it was. So they had bought the land the Speedway was on uh, for about $1,000. By the end of the 1970s, that land was about $10,000 an acre. Yikes. That is a huge... That's a huge price hike right there. Yes. So, what had happened was... <laughs> They did not know this either. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> so, an oil company, Chevron Oil Company, uh, had had eventually, when the Speedway started failing it, and the Speedway was like, they would, you know, sell it to an oil company, because of course they would want races to happen there, because they're an oil company. So they ended up buying the Speedway for $10,000. The the actual, I mean, no, they ended up buying the Speedway for $10 million. The actual value of the land the Speedway was on was $120 million. Yikes. So I'm guessing they just ended up selling the land back, didn't they? I'm yes, after after the end of the the nineteen eighty NASCAR season, which um, that season finale at Ontario, I it didn't sell out, but uh, some some small rookie, his name was Dale Earnhardt, won his first race ah. there. Ah, he, he again he, he turned out all right, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also um, Richard Petty won the last of his seven titles there. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, after that race, um, Chevron demolished the Speedway. It's like, hey, this trace track is getting in the way of our vast, expensive land. (laughs) So they demolished the Speedway. um, Yeah, they demolished the Speedway and sold off the land for the money. Uh, I think today a hotel and a shopping mall are there. Ah, Again, it turned out all right in the end, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah, and I think one of the... People on the Speedway Board of Directors decided in the 1990s to build a new Speedway two miles away. But obviously it wasn't the same. That, 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 speedway, that speedway director uh, that speedway director on the board, uh, his name was uh, Roger Penske, and he decided to build uh, what is now Auto Club Speedway two miles from Ontario. Roger Penske always ends up being in every one of these stories in some capacity. It's crazy. It's like yes, it's like, and <laughs> that that second USGP date that was supposed to go to uh, Ontario, it ended up going to uh, this small California coast. Si- it was a port city called Long Beach. Ah. <laughs> so generally. M- Ontario was what could have been for American racing. It was a state-of-the-art venue, first of its kind in many ways, probably set the precedent for every other circuit to be built after it, but it only lasted for a decade. And it never really had any low points. It had, it had you know, top racing across the board, and they never really had any, like, race days that went under-attended. It just, they couldn't, they couldn't make back the money that they loaned to build it, and they did, for whatever reason, overlook the value of the land the track was sitting on, and it all just went away in a blink of an eye. And instead, we got left with Long Beach. Great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
in the end, King, I mean, Ross Braun came out last week and said that, you know, F1's not going to make a comeback over there. I mean, I guess that's good news, I guess. I yeah, because Long Beach isn't really a, a raceable circuit for modern F1 cars. And I think Zach Brown, I, we mentioned on last week's show, Zach Brown said that Long Beach was, you know, incompatible with Formula One. Like, I, th- like, I truly believe he's right because there's like no runoff area at all like if f1 really wanted to go back to southern california they're going to need a purpose-built circuit and that's kind of why i built up the ontario story because that's the first thing that came into my mind like if there was a purpose-built circuit in southern california they could probably be there next year (laughs) yeah it all makes sense i mean especially given the rumors that f1 apparently wants a 25 race calendar on there soon enough which Oh boy, that that sounds all sorts of crazy. Yeah, um, a twenty-five race calendar. <laughs> like, like King, how much is too much with his F one race calendar? Like, because we had twenty-one last year, we, we're back down to twenty, but there's still a lot of rumblings in the air about future tracks and whatnot. I mean, there's always talk about potential tracks joining and leaving the calendar. It's a never-ending thing. But um, like, how much is too much in your eyes? How much is too? I'm I'm not really sure. I'm in the camp because I'm I'm not I'm not sure I'm like in the right state of mind to answer that question. Because Dre, you know me, I, I'd find any way to squeeze more races onto this calendar. Yeah, the form that like the NASCAR fan in you is is clearly kicking in here. It's like we need as many races as physically possible here. Clearly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I I gotta ask Helena on this one, like. We're at 20 right now. Like, would there be such a thing as too much? Like, are you just, are you the sort of fan that would just be happy to have more races on the calendar? Or are you, like, are you worried about something like Blowout, for instance? Yeah, I think obviously there comes a point when there can be too much pressure on Man and Machine. Um, is, is it the fans and the drivers that are demanding, say, a 25 race calendar or is it the sponsors and um, the money making side of things so I think that was a good amount if you try and stretch it anymore yeah I feel like it could lose its magic touch yeah, you got a point there. I mean, I've always I've always claimed that you know F one F one races are kind of special to us fans. I mean, the the comparison was made with football the other day, and I was like, you can't really make that comparison because there's 380 games in the Premier League over the course of a you know 10 month season, whereas in F one you got 20. It's just not the same thing. Um, and you know, like, do do you risk? King making races feel a bit less special if you have just more and more added onto the calendar? Or... Uh, I I wouldn't say it really hurts the calendar because I think the, the comparison that you and me probably know best is people complaining that in, in pro wrestling, complaining that Monday Night Raw is too long. When they went from two hours to three hours, it was too long. But it, like, the reason why it's three hours is because people will watch the third hour. Like, the, like the TV companies will still, like, pay to have the third hour because the ratings show that people watch it. And that's the same with Formula One. Like, the season gets longer and has, like, eventually gotten longer and longer. But people still either going to the races or watching them on television, like, they could say otherwise, but they're still watching it anyway. 
It's a good point. Like, if there was 25 races on the F1 calendar right now, I don't think anybody would stop watching because there's too much F1. I don't think that it, it's just it's not the same. There'll like, never be too much F1. <laughs> but but the thing is, people always say this. Like, I think Helena's right. Like, there's never too much F1. You could say that you wouldn't watch if there were 25 races. But guaranteed, if if there were 25 races, you probably would look the other way and still watch. Yeah, probably. I can't lie to you. I probably would watch all 25 still. Um, yeah, I was thinking more from a humanitarian standpoint on this one because, like I said, like like I'm thinking more about people like the crews and the teams. Like, you know, like McLaren's always said that 20 was kind of the breaking point. Anything beyond that, they might have to hire a second crew, and that's really expensive stuff. Um, but, but, you know... I- Again, they would be able to hire a second crew because the amount of income gained from by having those extra races mean they could afford to have a second crew. Very again, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a circle to these things. I mean, it's a bit like in the government having having more bank holidays. That's been debated lately. You know, they'd actually make more money in the long run, so it wouldn't really matter if they had an extra bank holiday or two. So yeah, I guess that works out. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess that's interesting enough. I mean. I'm, I think I'm going to skip my guy keeping it one one for next week. That'll be a bit more interesting. But, um, yeah, like let's take a quick musical interlude and we'll talk about the main event of the evening, the Formula One Grand Prix in Russia. get to celebrate this one your man's your man's got his very I, I, first f1 win uh, again again we're, we're still in this in the situation since nico rosberg has retired but i i still don't have a favorite driver i was like i'm like i i, I know valtteri botas finally won a race he, he's he's still in contention as he always was it's like i think i've narrowed it down to see either botas or Vettel. he's gonna that's gonna become my favorite driver <laughs> like King, uh, we need to we need to point out an episode number where you finally decide on this one, <laughs> where, where I finally say like, yes, this is my guy going forward. We'll make it a big deal like Eurovision when I've like we'll have like every driver state their case over, over the course of like a three hour ceremony. We'll all tweet about it, and then like on episode maybe like ninety, you can come out and review who your new driver is. Nah, nah, I, I'm I'm fine being on the the you know traditionalist journalistic stance of being non-biased and impartial. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Bull effing shit, uh, yeah. Mister Nico Rosberg over here. Uh, but um, in any case, the 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 replacement, the spirit of Nico Rosberg in F1 lives on in Valtteri Bottas and. Uh, Wow, a a superb first career victory, and uh, King, I mean, he's been in the mix for a little while now, he's always had really solid cars, and he's I think he's always come across like a really solid driver, so this will certainly come in, but um, I, you have to admit, it, it was an incredibly impressive drive to get it. Yeah, very impressive drive, 
I think I think the the peaks like what you could really point out in the highlights of his drive were both the start and the finish. He's his, his start to go from third to first. Oh my god! <sighs> I, do we have to talk about this being be like being being the the Vettel guy on the podcast? Yeah, I mean, like, like th- th- there's a reason why this episode is being called "My Sandbag Is Bigger Than Yours," and the reason why is because we all thought Mercs weren't actually bluffing on this one, and it turns out they actually sort of still were, but Ferrari still actually got pole position anyway, which I thought was actually kind of funny. Um, it was only mentioned about 115 times, but this was Ferrari's first front row lockout in qualifying since the final French Grand Prix, as we know it, at Magnicor in 2008. Um, so yeah, like fell on pole by Raikkonen, just over about half a tenth between them. And none of it mattered because Bottas essentially won the race after about 500 yards. Thanks a bunch, King. <laughs> Your uh, man's ruined this. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Because it, it looked like Ferrari were going to either find some way to try to get ahead of, on Bottas on strategy. Not not like trying to an undercut or overcut through pit stops, but having the freshest tires at the end of the race to try to, you know, push at the end to catch Botas when he was most likely going to be at his weakest. If anything, it's just kind of weird that um like a Ferrari actually had a strategy call and normally I think I think I've still got like last season in my head where they made so many bad strategy calls. I was like, this one's got to suck, but it actually sort of worked out all right in the end, going seven laps longer and then having the seven laps softer tyres in the... seven laps of a fresher tyre at the end of the Grand Prix. I mean, that's nice and all, King, but from an entertainment standpoint... (laughs) Yeah, it... it, It's it's felt like a chess match. It, it, It felt like a chess match because, for the most part... Um, it was mainly watching the timesheets to see what the what the gap between uh, Vettel and Botas was, and if Vettel was closing at a fast enough rate to catch Botas eventually. There was nothing to watch on track. Uh, yeah, that that exactly because I like I think it was Danny Brennan that pointed this out on Twitter. But if you could see the timing screen, the timing tower on the left, and the gaps in between them, it's like every car was running two seconds or more apart from another car. Like Sochi just has this crippling problem where cars just cannot run close to each other for some reason. I think actually the- that's that's not really true because anytime GP two races there, they have great races. It's true. It's like it's weird because I, I brought this up after the races that like the support class races around there have been fantastic in the past. Where you know GP two and GP three have had great races around this same track and it's worked out excellently. And it just didn't quite do that in this case. It was very weird and. I don't know how much of that is down to the cars and how much of that is down to Sochi just not being a, a track that's looked on particularly favorably. I mean, what, what what do you make of all of it, King? Oh, I, I think the cars are farther apart than we think they are. Like, with the exception of the, like, of the the fairly close groupings between, you know, Ferrari and Mercedes at the front, they're clearly fairly close, but, like, further up the road, and, like, the midfield grouping between, you know, 
Force India, Williams, and Haas. And I think Renault have started to show that they are moving into that midfield grouping. That, yeah. for the most part, the cars aren't really that close together. You make a good point there. Like, it, it, it played, I mean, qualifying played out a lot like Noah's Ark as well. I mean, you had two Ferraris at the front. You had the two um, Mercedes right behind them. And we'll get to the, the other Mercedes we haven't mentioned just yet, which is weird because we, like, we've been talking about this race for like nearly 10 minutes and we've not even mentioned LH yet. But um, then you had like Massa splitting the two Red Bulls. Hulkenberg was, was in the mix a little bit there as well. But yeah, it, it did seem like there is an actual pecking order around here um right now which is interesting to say the least i mean like i like seeing some clarification on that but king i have to say as well what good is is a softest race tire in a grand prix that's able to go 75 percent of the race distance yeah i i think oh yeah that was the one thing i was thinking about to add to the news at the end but i might as well bring this up now like during the race weekend Pirelli already said what they were aiming to for the tw- with the 2018 tires. That uh, essentially they want they don't think the tires are degrading fast enough, despite even being like aiming for a low degrade degradation tire. It's not they want it to degrade a bit more. Also, they want the steps between the compounds to be wider because they don't think they're wide enough. Yeah, I mean, I saw Pirelli say that the gap here was about a second between compounds, but it just didn't feel that way when we actually watched the race itself. And again, like, Hulkenberg went the longest on his Ultrasofts. He went 39 laps on that tyre. It was a 52-lap race, uh, which, which, yeah, we were locked a lap off. I mean, King, I'm still salty about this. Like, like, <laughs> like Vettel crossed the line six temps behind Bottas to, like, uh, uh, to go over the line with, right? If that race is one lap longer, who knows at that point? And how did we lose a lap? Because Fernando, goddamn Alonso's car failed. For God's sake. (laughs) A DNS for Fernando Alonso. A did not start. He parks his car right by the pit lane on the first formation lap, which meant they had to go around again, a second formation lap. And as a result of that, they, they took a lap off the Grand Prix itself to compensate, which knocked it down from 53 laps to 52. Thanks, Fernando. You still find the way to screw Ferrari over even three years after you've left them. Thanks a bunch. Like, I, like the moment his car broke down, the the NBC crew, because I watched with NBC instead of Sky this weekend, actually got like a little excited because they thought the FI weren't going to take a lap off, so people would be on the edge on fuel. So like, you would see, you know, probably a more exciting race because they would have to find some place to save fuel. And we didn't get that. <laughs> we didn't get that. The FIA decided to play it safe. But, man, the, the McHonda strikes again. But, on the other side of the coin, King, one of their cars did actually finish the race. Woo! Stoffel Van Dorn made it. Like, a McLaren saw the checkered flag for the first time this season. They're now a whopping one for six. <laughs> actually, no, one for eight, I should say, for cars actually finishing the race. They're making progress, King. They're making progress. They probably would have finished in Bahrain if Van Dorn was behind the wheel because he wouldn't have parked it like Alonso did. <laughs> well, when you put it like that, I mean... <laughs> It's it's I mean yeah I mean they're making some progress maybe they'll get maybe they'll actually score a point by the time this season finishes, um, but hey, 
good for McLaren. They got a car over the line. That's that, that that's where you got to start. I mean, speaking of lap one as well, um, King, like there was an enormous lap one accident between uh, Romain Grosjean and Julian Palmer. Now, the internet was very quick to you know defecate on Palmer from a great height because he's Julian Palmer. I thought this was more of a lap one fifty fifty. What did you make of it? Um, based on how Roma described how the accident happened, I I think it's his fault because he mm. said that he said that that Palmer turned in on him, which doesn't make any sense because the reason why Palmer turned in on him is because he tapped him going into the corner. <laughs> Yeah, and even so, they were free wide. As Jolien said after the race, like he couldn't get, he literally couldn't give Grosjean any more room. It, like it was just an unfortunate sequence of events. But it seems that Grosjean didn't cut Palmer too much slack anyway. But of course, because the internet doesn't like Jolien Palmer very much, and they all just automatically thought it was his fault because he's Jolien Palmer. Now, don't get me wrong. He's not the most popular guy around here. I, I openly understand that. But on this one, I think Palmer is okay. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, what do I say about Julian Palmer? It's like, man can't catch a break. Man can't catch a break. <laughs> again, it's like, I'm not saying that that Palmer hasn't deserved a lot of the criticism so far this season, but when you're getting when you're getting knocked off the track on turn one of a Grand Prix, what what more can you say or do really? It's just that was an unfortunate one. I just hope Palmer can start getting some results soon because, in any case, Nico Hulkenberg's kind of wiping the floor with him right now, and it's not a good look. Um, I mean, that kind of was expected because he is sure. Nico freaking Hulkenberg. <laughs> I mean, you mean the guy that everybody has criticized for the last two years for not being quite as good as Sergio Perez? No, no, I'm talking about uh, Nico Hulkenberg. I almost got a seat with two factory teams before. Oh, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, but yeah, you know, again, I, 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 I think Palm was okay on this one. I think this was more on Grosjean, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, yeah, just gonna, I think just... it was... Um, what it had, what had happened over the course of the weekend, where I think he only, he only finished one session he participated in without bidding the car. Yeah, because didn't he crash in qualifying too? Yeah, he crashed in qualifying. He missed free practice three because he crashed in free practice two. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> oh man. Oh, Jolian. Okay, let's let's talk about Lewis Hamilton for a minute here because you haven't talked about Lewis at all so far in this episode, which is amazing given we're almost an hour in. Uh, <laughs> we're forty five minutes in and we've not mentioned Lewis only in passing until now. This was, for me, King, the most uncompetitive I think I've ever seen Lewis Hamilton in compared in comparison to a teammate. He finished thirty six seconds behind Valtteri Bottas's winning car. That is. Incredible, and it wasn't just the race either. I mean, he was half a second behind the big three, the fr- the front three in qualifying too. This was just really an off weekend from Lewis. Yeah, like I know during the the quote unquote dream team years with Jensen Button, like 
there would be weekends you'd be behind button, but it was never this bad. Yeah, half a second behind in qualifying. Like I said, the best part of three quarters of a second a lap off, off Val in this race. And he never really looked in it, especially in the second half. I don't know how much of that was down to just Lewis struggling and how much of it was down to the much-publicized um, issues with temperature management of the car. I mean, hot brakes and, you know, hot engine and all that good stuff. And, you know, very warm, apparently, King. Very warm. Um, yeah. his, his car was quite toasty, apparently. Uh, maybe they saw Daniel Ricciardo's failure, which we'll get to in a minute, and uh, they may, maybe they got a little bit spooked by that. Um, I don't know. But, oof. yeah, I just... It is strange seeing him that far that that far down the order. That is all sorts of crazy. Um, I hope it was just a one-off because, like, we like we need Lewis up there at some point in this season. That would be nice because, again, like Val has given a better account of himself at Mercedes so far than I think many people were expecting. I think a lot of people were thinking the Val was just going to be a walkover, but they're now two-two in qualifying. Val's okay, three-one down, and it comes to head-to-head over races. But he's only, I think, 10 points off his teammate. So, through four rounds, I mean, I think Bottas is doing a pretty good job for himself. Yeah, like, if if I had to, like, put Bottas... Because I said that Bottas wouldn't be contending for the championship at the start of the year. And I still hold that belief. But, like, I kind of had it pegged, like, it would be, like, 3-1. to one, And he's pretty much meeting my expectations but to be like 2-2 two, two on qualifying that is impressive especially given that Lewis is arguably the best qualifier we've ever seen in F1 so to be 2-2 two and two with him and again no mechanical shenanigans really or anything to report regarding that it, 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 it's it's on merit he's 2-2 two and two with Lewis in qualifying right now and yeah like Bottas is legitimately quick and that's always kind of been the case but I think people saw him go up against Lewis and immediately thought, oh, he's going to get curb stomped. And that has not been the case so far this season. So, you know, good for him. He's doing a really, really good job. And again, it was a very well-deserved victory. And King, like, did you see the amount of uh, wax, you know, wax lyrical over this from Mika Hakkinen? Like, uh, no, no, I did not see. <laughs> yeah. The, he, um, <laughs> he, he, he's hailed Val as an incredible talent. He wish he, you know, issued glowing congratulations. Like, King, isn't Mika like Val's agent? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like, like, I'm just saying, like, is he is he trying to I get think, his yeah, it's, some money? I think him and Toto are his his agents. Again, we mentioned this last year. Enormous conflict of interest there, but <clears throat> we'll we'll brush that under the rug. Uh, but in any case. I mean, get get your client some money, I guess. All right. I mean, we, we did, did, did you hear Eddie Jordan on the podium after the race? Oh no, I missed out on the podium interviews. All oh, right, because there, there, there was a funny like because Eddie Jordan, you know, the drunken uncle of Formula One at this point, Eddie Jordan was doing the podium interviews, and the like in the middle of that, he's he, in the middle of it while well, talking to Val, he's pointing down at um at Toto Wolf, and he and he's saying. Didn't you only sign this man to a one-year contract? <laughs> Get your pen out. Give that man his money. Give him a multi-year extension with a big bumper, okay? <laughs> and it was just the most awkward thing. Just seeing Toto just, like, nod his head like, Oh, God, is he still talking about this? <laughs> was, yeah, it, literally calling out someone, Hey, hire this man and make a really 
team-changing decision right now. I'm calling you out in front of the entire world. There's only 400 million people watching, Eddie. No big deal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also, that the thing is, some interesting facts. That also broke Lewis Hamilton's streak of nine consecutive podium finishes, too, which is interesting. Um, so, yeah. That, like, that's, and the only reason it's only nine, because he, he, he couldn't get that podium due to a mechanical failure. Yeah, Malaysia, um, where that that was the second streak starting, basically. Um, that was interesting. That was also Kimi Raikkonen's first podium in 15 races. Um, you'd, you'd actually have to go all the way back to last season to find the last time Raikkonen was on the podium, which kind of says a lot about Kimi Raikkonen's bad form lately. <laughs> Um, again, a very lonely race for Raikkonen, really. Just, just, just trundling along away in there in third. Lewis didn't have an answer for him. He was just going to nurse the car home after the, the one and only pit stop during the race, and Raikkonen was on his own again. Um, more on him later in the mailbag section. Um, yeah, because um, actually during the race, if um, with Lewis, uh, there were actually moments in the race where they were like, okay, Lewis, the, the gap back to to Verstappen in 20 seconds and Lewis is like why does that matter it's like we, we need to keep a safety car window so if a safety car comes out we can pit and be out before Verstappen passes you well, that's a good point yeah. that, that that just summed up how mediocre like Lewis's race really was it's like I mean we've we got to hold off the Red Bull behind us just in case <laughs> the Red Bull that's 20 seconds behind <laughs> Yeah, for the record, Max Verstappen finished a minute behind Valtteri Bottas' winning car. A minute. That's how far off the top Red Bull is right now. And it doesn't help when their main driver suffers a brake failure, King. I mean, is Daniel Ricciardo's season already a write-off? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned it during the race where it's like somewhere, like, Mark Webber is having, like, war flashbacks. <laughs> 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 oh no! Are you implying like 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 Weber's suffering from PTSD or something right now, where it's just like, yeah, I remember those days. I, I remember those days when I was the the Australian that had mechanical failures to the you know young chosen one. Yeah, history is seemingly repeating itself, and I don't mean that in no good way. As uh, Verstappen had a very lonely uh, fifth place finish in the end, but Ricardo suffering from an from an overheated brake failure, the second brake failure that uh, that um, Red Bull has had in two races with obviously Verstappen having his rear brakes fail at Bahrain, and like doesn't weren't Haas swapping brakes around mid weekend? Like, is there an issue with F one brakes right now? Like, we had IndyCar have this at like St Petersburg, and now <laughs> and now the Formula One guys are having problems as well, King. It's just, it's all sorts of crazy. Yeah, like, Haas can't make up their mind. They're switching, like, almost every session. It's ridiculous. But besides Haas, no one's really had major, major issues. Yet. Um, just have to wait and see how that goes. But um, one more bullet point I have I have here on the chat regarding Russia King. And it's 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 one that, that uh, my brother insisted we add to the list. Brother Ryan said, um, Dre, you got to, like, is Ferrari winning the championship now? And it's like... Like it's it's the is the Ferrari hype actually real and how's the narcotic doing basically? Which I wrote about on motorsport101.net today. So you check that, <laughs> to check to check that out if you get if you get a chance already. But um, I'm trying to find somebody in, in the mailbag office. Yeah, Harry Racing, uh, Harry Green, I think his name is. It, it says H Racing Green on Twitter. If if it's if the name's not Harry, I deeply apologise. I'm going to assume it's that. 
if it's if it if it's not, feel free to call me an idiot. You have my permission. Um, it said, "How do you see the constructors' title panning out as the season goes on? Can you see Ferrari doing the double?" And it's like, well, Ferrari's not really had a shot at the double since two thousand and eight. I would argue. Um, Felipe Massa was not on Fernando Alonso or Mutt Webber's level in 2012, and that was the big problem as to why the Ferrari weren't quite there for the constructors then. Again, Massa was not in that title threat in 2010 either, so you probably have to go back to 08 when Massa was, you know, a prime contender for the title, and Ferrari actually did win the constructors in 08, but he didn't win the driver's title because of, well, you know why. <laughs> so, King, like. I can't lie to you. Like in the Sebastian Vettel camp right now, he's won two races. He's had a pole position. He's had legit chances to win the other two races, but he's had two second places to go alongside that. I'm starting to believe King. Like, yeah, I, I think Vettel is more likely to win the, his championship than Ferrari winning the constructors. I, I agree because I don't think Raikkonen is going. I think Raikkonen is probably going to be the fourth man in in those four race contending cars right now. I mean, we will have to see how Red Bull comes into play. Maybe later in the year, we'll again more of that in a minute. But um, yeah, hopefully, Red Bull comes into play. <laughs> he's hoping, but um, King, I'm starting to believe it's actually kind of scary. Like, it's like we've we've got something here. Like, we keep splitting the Mercs and giving them a bloody nose and. Again, Vettel rustled the jimmies of, of, of Val there quite hard towards the end of that Grand Prix, was able to crack the dirty air in the DRS zone, and maybe we'd have had a chance if the race was one, one lap longer, and two, wasn't ruined by Felipe Massa, you bastard! <laughs> um, <clears throat> as, as, as Vettel showed by, by pointing out his pole position on the final lap as he drove past him, using the middle finger, apparently. Um... King, what's like King? Like, what what are your feelings towards middle fingers in motorsports? <laughs> um, in car deserved, but uh, you, I, I tend not to be a fan of them when like drivers decide to you know do it after they get out their car and step towards another car to do it. Are, are, are you implying that Scott Dixon Dixon's double bird last year? You were not a particular fan of. Uh, I'd say I. W- I'd say I was fine with Dixon because he kept the safe distance away from the other car. <laughs> oh, that's the reason why you're okay with it. <laughs> it was a distance thing, not the actual prompt you moment of a double bird. Yeah, because um, I, I don't want someone getting struck down just because they decided to throw the bird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to be fair, that's a pretty good reason. That is that is a pretty good reason. Um, t- yeah, like I I I I I, I apologise to Lewis Hamilton for being mad at him when he gave when when he gave Gutierrez the finger last year. Um, I deeply apologise. I've realised I I I'm, it's not worth getting mad over shit like this. Yeah, I actually, like, I actually stop- find it quite funny. <laughs> yes, like it, it gets heated in there, and like it, it's not doing anyone any harm. Apart from Esteban Gutierrez, apparently. <laughs> Apart from Esteban Gutierrez. He was pissed! <laughs> he was pissed that time talking about disrespect. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I'm done getting mad at, at the double bird. But um, one more thing I'm going to go for before we move on to the next section, King. I mean, like, are you for, are you for keeping Sochi on the calendar at this point? Because it's... It, we mentioned this a little bit earlier about how... You know, 
we only had one. Like, this wasn't quite in the famous club on Wikipedia king of zero on-track overtakes. It had one. Apparently, it had one. Apparently, Pascal Wehrlein passed his teammate on lap five. That is the one on-track overtake we apparently had in 51 laps racing. Brackets. Lap one doesn't count. But, um... And, like... Even, like, NASCAR, that has, like, numerous, like... Like, I would... Numerous is an understatement. Has, like, thousands of overtakes during a race. They have a definition between just regular passes and quality passes. Quality passes need to be made between cars in the top ten. And I really put like yes that was a overtake but it wasn't really one of consequence it had no consequence on the race at all it didn't change who finished in the points or not it didn't affect anything it wasn't even on the hard camera um which kind of says it already so um king would you say that sometimes it's not about the overtakes it's about the thrill of the chase no no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no one's gonna say, "Oh, <laughs> basketball is not about the points. It's about it's about people pulling sick crossovers, and it's not about whether the race is fun. Or not. It's about whether Dre does a Google Hangout afterwards or not. That's the important thing. But um, yeah, like it, it's. Do you want to keep Sochi on the calendar, King? If you had a choice, yes, because because the track is clearing out the problem here. <laughs> Yeah, like, like I, I said it before, it's like, it's the cars, and people were actually defending the cars themselves, saying that 2017 has been exciting so far, and I'm like, we've had one good race out of four, in my opinion. Like, I think China was a decent race. I think Australia was boring as hell. I think Bahrain was pretty boring outside of a couple of clashes. I mean... The midfield action was... Okay, to be fair, okay, I'll give you Bahrain, because Bahrain had some decent action in the midfield. And it was more strategic up the front. Fine. You can have Bahrain. We're two for four. That's not a bad hit rate, but if I remember correctly, King, this season was actually pretty good last year through the first four rounds. I I think they had three genuinely really good races. Yeah, like, we had a good race at China last year. (laughs) Like, China was one of the best races of the year. Like... (laughs) What does that tell you? <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. It's it's not looking good. It is not looking good because I would say the cars like I would say the des- like the the change to wider tires and more downforce in itself like wouldn't have been a problem. But the like the performance of each individual car between the teams are just too it's too far apart. So you're saying it's it's more of a budgetary problem right now than a straight-up flawed design of the cars, you're saying? Yeah, I would say it's a mix of both, but the 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 performance gaps between the cars are too wide. Yep. I, I mean, I think that, that's definitely a factor. I mean, right now, like, it's the, it's the big two, and then it's everybody else. Like, Red Bull's in no man's land. Like, Williams are sort of in no man's land. They're a little bit better than Force India are right now. And yeah, just a good point. There are big gaps between these cars right now, and it's definitely becoming a problem. Um, quick rundown of, of the result before we move on as well. Bottas wins by 0.6 of a second. Damn you, Felipe. Over Sebastian Vettel in second. Kimi Raikkonen, a very lonely third, um, 11 seconds back. Then Hamilton fourth. Again, as mentioned, 36 seconds off the win, which is sort of crazy, really. Verstappen in fifth. Again, a minute off the top. And then... 
for the for the sixteenth time in the row, points for Force India, but also for the fourth time this season, they've like they King, they've had all eight of their cars this season finishing the points. Yeah. Really solid start for Force India. Extremely <laughs> consistent. Yeah, like they have had all eight of their cars so far this season finish in the points and almost like 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 formation flying as well with one man in front of the other uh, Sergio Perez a great result for him in 6th place ahead of teammate Esteban Ocon in 7th in who's had nothing but points finishes to start his F1 career good job rookie um, ahead of him Nico Hulkenberg another very solid performance there in 8th just behind Ocon at the end there couldn't quite make it work in the end but uh, he went 39 laps on the Ultrasoft tyre but, and he was also the last man on the on the lead lap, which kind of says it all, really. Felipe Massa suffered a slow puncture late on, had to change tyres. He finished in ninth. And Carlos Sainz, despite the penalty from last round, finished in the last of the points paying positions in 10th, ahead of Lance Stroll, who sadly just missed out in P11th, going full Esteban Gutierrez, if you ask me. Um, ahead of Daniel Kvyat in 12th, Kevin Magnussen, 13th, suffered a five-second time penalty for extending track limits as was Stoffel van Dorn in 14th, and then the two Saubers, um, Ericsson and Verline, 15th and 16th, as mentioned, four non-runners, Daniel Ricciardo, who had the brake failure, Alonso, who didn't even start the race, and Jolian Palmer and, and Romain Grosjean, who didn't make it past turn two. So, King, like, was this like a three out of ten sort of race for you? Because it was for three me. Three out of ten, but one thing we forgot to mention, our Canadian son finished the race. <laughs> Yes! Lance Stroll is off the mark! <laughs> yes! Somewhere Sarah Connors is fist-pumping right now as we speak. Um, yeah, and other thing, Mercedes is somehow, through six Russian Grand Prix, still undefeated at the Russian Grand Prix. It's four, isn't it? Not six. Didn't they debut in 2014? No, there, there were two pre-war Imperial Russian Grand Prix in 1913 and 1914 that somehow Mercedes were able to also win. Oh, for God's sake, King. <laughs> you f- nerd! <laughs> hey, nerd! if you go on the Wikipedia page, it's there. And even if you go on the Wikipedia page, it says, most wins, Mercedes, six. <laughs> you friggin' nerd. <laughs> you win this round, King. You win this round. <laughs> yeah, that was not a good Grand Prix at all. So, so, so to cleanse the palette, let's go to Phoenix for IndyCar. And, oh, they actually kept the downforce package. Bugger! <laughs> Okay, King. Phoenix, IndyCar, round four. And, um, your mans, again. <laughs> your, your other French mans in this yeah, case. My, my, my other French mans who I did not pick, so the streak has unfortunately died. Yes. Oh, wait, wait, he's still actually doing really well in the IndyCar Fantasy League. They missed the fourth yeah, because, in the world. because I picked the straight. I, pick, I picked third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. You don't get any bonus points for picking a straight. This isn't poker, King. <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll, we'll give you a rundown of the Fantasy League standings as we go along. But, uh, 
King. I mean, again, this was no classic for an IndyCar Grand Prix, but it's hard not to be impressed after the late caution of just how friggin' impressive Simon Pagano was. Yeah, like... As much as people said this race wasn't interesting, there were a lot of, like, just interesting stories to watch throughout, like whether it be Simon Pagano controlling the front at the end, or... uh, before the the last the, the last pace uh, the last full course caution, you had J.R. Hildebrand blasting his way through the field up to third. Yeah, we'll get to Hildebrand in a minute, but that was impressive. And si- Simon, I mean, there was the last caution of the Grand Prix, and Pagano came out and then won the race by nearly ten seconds. Only four men were on the lead lap when it was all said and done. And don't get me wrong. Phoenix isn't a particularly big lap. It's only about 19 seconds long. But despite that, that is mighty impressive given that's a short over with 23 cars on it. Very impressive indeed. And, I mean, the the, the pace of the race was largely dictated, though, by a massive first lap incident. Hey, King. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. I've never seen... Man, I... I don't want to say I blame Mikhailo Ocean for what happened, but man, of all the players to, <laughs> for your car just to snap loose, like, exit of turn one of lap one is probably where you don't want that to happen. Cold tires, King. Cold tires. He just goes high and he loses it. And, like, it's not been a good time for Mikhailo Ocean so far this season in IndyCar, has it? No, 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 no. And I don't, like, part of me was like, sad because the the first car that that was affected by that accident was my boy my boy Sebastian Bourdain lost the title lead (laughs) your season had been going far too well for this king like you you, you should have seen this coming yeah a lotion spins out Sebastian Bourdain has nowhere to go he gets collected and through the enormous pile of smoke unfortunately Graham Rahal, Max Chilton, and Mario... Sorry, not, sorry, not Mario, sorry. Marco Andretti, <laughs> a.k.a. Snapple Man himself, were all unfortunately tagged in said incident. And as a result, um, they all, we lost five cars within the space of ten seconds uh, of, of the green flag starting. It was, a, it was a rough incident. Luckily, all five men came out of their cars okay. Only bruised egos. And in the case of Graham Rahal King, a mountain of salt. <laughs> yes, yeah, Salt Mountain. Like, what exactly did he actually say on this one? Because, like, I didn't see the start of the Grand Prix initially. <laughs> like, I-, I missed it as well. Like, I pretty only saw the reaction on Twitter. <laughs> like, I-, I just I saw the reaction to Twitter of mostly, oh, yeah, there's Rahal being salty again. <laughs> like... He's the king of salt, isn't he, King? Like I've not, I've never seen a saltier racing driver in existence. Me either. Like, anytime something bad happens to Graham Rahal, you might as well just, just, just turn the camera towards him and just wait for the explosion to happen. Like, I, I, I want someone to fight Graham Rahal, King. I want, I want, <laughs> I want Rahal to pick on the wrong man at some point, and then the other man swings at him. Like, maybe Ed Carpenter. That might work. Like, piss off Ed, Oval Master Ed Carpenter. Piss him off and then have them fight. Like, I, I would pay... Like, I don't care about the fines because I know IndyCar, you can't really cuss people out anymore, unfortunately, which is really annoying. 
But I, I want him to get into a fracas, King. Like I, this has to happen at some point. We have to have Ray Hall fight somebody. Yeah, the, the pot, the pot has been so close to boiling over on so many occasions. We just need that one right day. We need the right day. The wind blowing in the right direction. Maybe bring back Sage Karen. Maybe the five hundred. That might be the one. Oh yeah. My God. Yeah, have like, oh, you know, maybe bring back Christian Vortier. I know he's still got beef against him. <laughs> like Ray Hall still to this day claims that Vortier cost him the title that season, which kind of says it all, really. Um, <laughs> like to be fair to Graham, I will give him this. He was actually very cool on Twitter after the race to actually give out like analysis as the race was going. I thought that was quite cool. I wish that would happen more often, quite frankly. Yeah, he didn't go full professional sad man on us. Yeah, he, he, he channeled his powers for good. And and for that, I, I applaud um, Graham Rayham, as, as Twitter likes to call him now. Um, so that that so that was no, that was cool. And uh, King, did you also... Speaking of the London of the Eyes and the accent, did you see Max Chilton throw the shade earlier? Yeah, I also saw Chilton throw the shade. Like, what did you make of that? Because talking about Phoenix's terrible attendance and they can't race there. <laughs> yeah, I like saying that Phoenix has ter- terrible attendance. You might as well just say every place on the IndyCar calendar except the 500 has terrible attendance, Max. Because like, oh, it, yes, this current car has not been good at Phoenix. But saying that you shouldn't race there because the attendance is poor and like. And the racing isn't bad. Uh, the racing is bad. There, you might as well say that F one shouldn't race at like Spain. Well, F one shouldn't race at Spain, but that's besides the point. No, I'm joking. Like I'm, I'm saying, like, like Phoenix has been on the IndyCar calendar since the 1970s. Like, you're not dropping Phoenix now. You think he's still mad about the whole Graham Ray whole thing from last year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I'm, I'm pretty sure he is. Oh dear. Like yeah, so somebody tweeted him saying Max Hill said lost a lot of respect I had for him with his post race comments. Love it or leave it. IndyCar best racing series period. And then Chilton retweeted him and added the response of sorry that speaking the truth has upset you. I am saying there was a tiny crowd as it doesn't allow racing to happen. Hashtag other drivers agree. <laughs> <laughs> So, ooh, so I don't see anybody else putting their name on it though, Max. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Like you're the only man that went on the record. Oh dear. But um, I, I, I don't think it's because the lack of racing quality is what stopped people from going to Phoenix. I, I mean, is, is that crazy to say, King? No. No. Yeah, I would say it's it's a series problem, not a track problem. But hey, Chilton's in there. Can't speak against the brand. That's, that's the rules, King. That's speak against the brand. Next thing you know, Chip is going to be like, Max, going to have to let you go. Going to have to find you $10,000, Max. <laughs> 10000 $10, bucks and a keg of beer. I'm sorry. You can't can't be dissing the series like that, bro. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, King, I'm disappointed that my man, Snapple Man, Marco Andretti, is now being sponsored by Beef Jerky. This is this is the complete opposite of being sponsored by Snapple King. I'm very disappointed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with Alberto beef jerky. You shut your mouth. <laughs> I will not accept this. It's like it's like the the only thing I could fault them is for the series of commercials they had with Stephen A. Smith. That's your endorsement, Stephen yes. A. Smith. 
the yes, that that's the only reason why I probably wouldn't be a hundred percent on the beef jerky trade. Stephen A. Smith is a parody of a sports journalist at this point, and you know it. <laughs> yes, you you know you're a parody of yourself when you're selling beef jerky on television. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Let's talk about J.R. Hildebrand King, who has... Guess what, King? Oh, wait, wait. I think I think I need to mention this. I'm just scrolling through who likes Max Chilton's tw- tw- tweets. Oh, hang on. De- De- Detective Inspector King is in the house here. <laughs> we, we, we have a, a, a fan favorite of IndyCar Twitter liking this tweet. Who? If you, if you had to guess, they, they are heavily involved in the series, but they don't actually participate in the series as a driver. Heavily involved in the series, but don't participate as a driver. Um, is it like Townsend Bell? No, no. They're, they're also not a broadcaster. Not a broadcaster. Actively involved, but doesn't race in the series. Bobby Rahal? Nope. They are, they are also not team personnel. Not team person. I'm running out of options here quite quickly. Um, <laughs> it is, I, w- I would say they're a, they're a spouse or significant other of a driver. Oh, it's not who I think it is, is it? <laughs> it's exactly not, who you it's, think it is. It's not Miss Emma Davis Dixon, is it? Yes. Like, that is, like I, I just quickly just scroll through all the accounts to see if any of them had a blue check mark, and then this one did, and I stopped, and I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> not not you again, Miss Passive Aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Gotta support your country, mans. <laughs> Gotta support your country, mans, in this case. But hey, at least the husbands did actually quite well this time. More on that in a minute. But uh, shout out to J.I. Hildebrand and King. W- w- how do we describe his hair? Um, uh, Americanly magnificent. We'll settle for that. Uh, the mullets himself, J.R. Hildebrand, who, you know, as we as we saw, missed Barber due to a broken hand he suffered in that nasty collision with Michaela Lotion at Long Beach. He's he's come back in. This was his first race back, and this is his first ever start in Phoenix King, and he and he's on the podium. A fantastic third place. Yeah, man, he was flying out there, <laughs> especially compared to his, you know, Oval Master teammate. His Oval Master teammate, a carpenter who struggled and pretty much limped home on that one. But, um, yeah, absolutely agreed. A, a fantastic performance from J.I. Hildebrand. Again, this, like I said, this is his first time ever um, going around Phoenix, um, which is crazy that he was just so good. And he was like, King, he was like the only car sometimes that was actually able to pass people out there. It was crazy. Yeah, it was, it was almost like he was like, he, he knew how to use the push path button. <laughs> Attaboy. Because, yeah, yeah, you make a good point in there as well in the sense of, it, like, this was, the, this was the first ever oval race with push to pass in it. And it was interesting to see how that played out. And Hildebrand was real close to the back of Will Power towards the end. Power just about holding on on that one. But, um, yeah, Power actually gets a good break by finishing in second this time round, with uh, Hildebrand finishing third, um, splitting the Penske dominance uh, of, uh, you know, Penske's being one, two, and four. Um, we'll get to Joseph in a minute. Not quite not quite so lucky day for him on this occasion, but uh, King, we have to break out the catchphrase. You know which one. <laughs> He's a- not now, Sato! 
Thank you very much. And it wasn't just him. It was all four Andretti's failing to finish for the second time in three rounds. Um, unbelievably. Um, King, it, 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 it just wasn't Andretti's day, was it? Yep, yep. I could... I know a bunch of people on Twitter are like, Ryan, why do you pick on a Ray? He's such a short old master. But I'm like, guys, have you seen Andretti this year? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I can't talk. I picked Ryan Hunter Ray on my fantasy team this week, so <laughs> I, I, I can't say shit on this one, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I, I like uh, it's such an unfortunate situation. Like I, I wanted to see them do well because. I, you, the short ovals where Andretti Autosport tends to, you know, get their wins for the most part in a year besides the 500. And to be fair, like, out of, my, out of the big three teams, Andretti is definitely my favourite. Like, I don't, know, I don't know how much this is Zoe Hamilton's influence on me and the fact that they like Snapple. But, like, I kind of had this, like, like SPM is my favourite team. But, like, Andretti's a close second. It's quite annoying. I've always liked Hunter Ray as well. It's it's. Uh, it's kind of annoying, but yeah. Um, Sato on fresh tires goes up to the top and hits the wall. He, he, he clobbered the wall on that one. Rossi was more of a gentle love tap, but he unfortunately was out of the race. Hunter Ray made contact with, with one Joseph Newgarden King. <laughs> yep, made contact with Newgarden. Newgarden got his wing damaged, but Hunter Ray was on the worst part of that situation. Yep, Hunter Ray's damage was terminal in the end. They couldn't fix it in time. And uh, Newgarden, who really was in the wars on that day, skimmed the wall once and made contact with RHR. He went through three front wings in a single Grand Prix on a short oval, which is somewhat impressive. Like, uh, uh, King, I don't know if, like, could, could Foyt afford to bring three to, 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 to bring three front wings to a Grand Prix right now? Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I, I know I know. Robin Miller mentioned it on the broadcast. It's like, that's impressive that they got through that many front wings and that they brought that many front wings in the first place. No kidding, no kidding. That was that was definitely impressive indeed. I, I was I was taking about like Penske preparation. I think was the phrase they called it on the commentary booth to describe that one. Uh, so and I, I think it's a bit of that Penske cash because cash mm. makes preparing fairly easy. Oh yeah, Rogers got them dollar dollar bills, yo. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you guy went through three of those front wings in the end. Still finished in a you know rather respectable ninth place in the end, all things considered. And um, King, talking about the championship for a minute here, just like that, one Frenchman is down, another one is back up. Simon Paginot back on top of the championship by 18 points now. <laughs> and what, we we went into the season, like, the first couple of races of the season, we were like, oh, Paginot is off his game. Like, it doesn't really seem that Paginot was, wasn't, you know, in the same championship form as last year, but... Quickly, quickly as the doubts came up, they went back down. He gets a race win, his first win on an oval, and the championship lead. Because you know what? He's been lurking. He's not had a bad race, really, so far this season. He's always been in or around the top five. And that, I think, is ultimately what's, what's, what's proved dividends for Simon so far this season. He's always been in and around the mix, and he's cashed in on the chances where he can get them. And... I mean, we've had four races this year, King. He's finished in the top five in all four of them, including yeah. that including that win now in Phoenix, his first win on an oval. 
Um, so yeah, like even in bad situations, like like we saw at Long Beach, where he was disqualified from qualifying, he still got it up to finish in the top five in the end, and that is what's reaping dividends right now. Him with an 18-point lead on Scott Dixon. I'll run down a few championships championship again in a minute. But um, in the meantime, but yeah, I think it's it's also easy to to forget. That's pretty much how he won the championship last year by staying in the mix and taking the the wins when he could. Like people kind of, when they think of his championship season last year, they kind of automatically jump to the the star of the season where he was just on fire. Yeah, pretty much. Again, the road courses at the early start of the season and the street tracks, he was practically invincible. He was just so good at the start of the season. Not had it quite his own way this year, but the consistency has stuck around, and that is going to be one to keep an eye on for sure as we enter the month of May. And a race that Simon won last year at the Grand Prix of Indy. I wonder who's going to pick him on his fantasy team. Hmm. King, I'm looking at you. Uh, do I pick Paris or no? Don't Most even... likely, yeah, I am going to pick him because it's a road course and it's Simon Pagano. He always does well. It's like, don't even try to deny this at this point. Like, <laughs> we know where this is going. Uh, like, Hey, hey, I didn't pick him this week solely because it was an oval. Like, <laughs> Well, you make a good point, to be fair. Like, Also, I must admit, I was very impressed with myself for pretty much picking, like, pretty much calling the average lap speed for, the, for Phoenix pretty much on the nose. The average winning speed was 144, King. I was one out. Damn. Yeah, I had 139 I put down. Tiebreaker points. They all come in handy. (laughs) Tiebreaker points. (laughs) Tiebreaker points ain't gonna help a 30-point gap, fam. (laughs) Bastard. (laughs) You say this now, King. You look real smug from up there. Us peasants will, will, will mount a comeback. Just... Mark my words on this. <laughs> what is this? The French Revolution? Oh, it will be by the time I'm done with you. <laughs> a quick rundown of the full result. Simon Pagano winning in the end by just over 10 seconds from Will Power in second. J.R. Hildebrand in third. Ahead of Helio Castroneves, who had the pole but didn't really cash it in afterwards in fourth. Scott Dixon, another fifth place finish for him. The wife will be happy indeed. Tony Kanaan in sixth, his Chip Ganassi teammate ahead of Special Ed himself, Ed Carpenter, Oval Master in seventh place. Ahead of slightly above average Kimball in eighth place, ahead of New Garden. Munoz cracking the top ten for AJ Foyt for the first time this season. Good result from him. Ahead of another solid drive from rookie Ed Jones in eleventh. James Hinchcliffe the last of the running cars, unfortunately, in 12th place. Um, not a good day for, for the mayor of Hinchtown, really, on this one. Um, falling down the order a little bit on, the, on this. And so then we got the guys with the technical problems. Um, Hunter Ray finished 220, only 30 laps down in 13th place. Connor Daly's gearbox failed, so he was out. Um, I like this quote on Twitter. It was like, this is the first race we actually had a car that could pass somebody. Um, was was the actual quote that Connor Daly used, which kind of says it all, really. Alexander Rossi in 15th, Ed of Sato in 16th, Aloshin, Andretti, Bourdais, Chilton, and Ray Hall, the back of the pack. Um, again, going into the championship as it stands now, Simon Pagano with an 18-point lead. He has 159 points compared to Dixon's 141, ahead of Joseph Newgarden with 133. And uh, King's other man's Bourdais now down to fourth with 128. Eight points ahead of the mayor of Hinchtown, rounding off the top five on 120. Um, just, I'm just going to check the Fantasy League standings real quick. 
And uh, actually, I had a very good week this week, to be fair, in all fairness. Like, I was very happy with my performance. Yeah, we uh, were tied on points in the end. Me, you, and Brennan tied for fourth. <laughs> yes, I did see that, yeah. King and Brennan, 127, but, but uh, Brennan had a better tiebreak than I did. Um, I was I was four mile an hour out in the end. I think it did one forty eight or something. Brennan was only one point three out. Lucky bastard. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, like shout out to Callum Caves who was the top scorer. He got one hundred and fifty points. Yeah, um, I think yeah, one hundred and fifty was the the maximum you could possibly score this race. So you telling me Callum got the entire top four? Uh, yeah. Yeah. This this league is broken. Stop like shut the picks off before practice for crying out loud. Like I think like in the overall predictions like over 50 people got the maximum 150. That's nuts. Because the top order didn't change very much after qualifying. That's the problem. Um, but looking at our league, which, by the way, you can join at Time to Race the Tweets. Find it on fancy.indycar.com. Join us. Top non-podcaster gets a t-shirt. King. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. I get Brian rights. Apparently that's enough for him these days. But yeah, Ryan King, as, as, as mentioned, has a 40-point lead over, over Andrew Kissinger now in second with 476 compared to King's 516. Uh, uh, Charlie Reginball in third with 474, ahead of Carla Firenzo on 472. Uh, Race Fanatic on 460. And then it's me! I'm in sixth place now with 453. So, so I'm, 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 I'm making my stand here, guys. I'm making, a late, I'm making a late push here. Ahead of Callum in seventh place with 451. Chris Cook with 450, Tyler Small with 447, and Matt Carnero from MSTF1 rounded off the top 10 with 444. Yes. Um, and just so you know, the 40-point lead between me and Andrew in second is the same gap between Andrew in second to Lisa in 11th. You're really smug about this, aren't you? Yes, I'm really smug. I'm really smug. And overall, I am fourth place in the overall standings worldwide, and I'm only da, 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 I'm 22 points back of the leader. King, if you actually win this, I swear to God, like you will not live to see that VIP experience. <laughs> you do realize this, right? <laughs> no, no, I'll survive. I'll, I'll get there. I'll get to May. Not if I can help it. Uh, <laughs> but on that note, again, again, like King. Let's be real here. This wasn't as good as it could have been, probably down to the the downforce issues, right? Yeah, it was down to the downforce issues. I know after qualifying, like Will Power told the press what he wanted to see, what he wanted to see for the next time they head to a short oval race. He wanted them to use the f- full the full power available to them because a lot of people don't know. Uh, depending on what type of circuit they they use they run a different boost configuration. So the the most power you ever see out of an IndyCar is on the road courses where they run a hundred and no, they run 700 horsepower. The, the lowest they run is at Indianapolis motor speedway where they only run 525 on the short ovals. They run, uh, they run 650. So basically willpower wants them to run, Full power. They want. They want. He wants road course power on the short ovals, and they want to. And he wants them to use uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Aero setup, so they use the least amount of downforce possible. That sounds fun and ridiculously dangerous. Uh, it's not really that dangerous because because 
they have to slow down so much to go around the corner. Like, they can't get to a high enough speed out of the corner, because that's how they used to do it in kart, where they run low down for his high, high, high power. So, basically... You're at a really slow speed around the corners. You accelerate like hell to the next corner. Then you have to slow down for that corner. So you never really reach a really high speed. Good point. Good point. Would you be down for that? Yeah, I'd be down for that. Me too. Me too. Um, yeah, again, having the having that set up for Phoenix just doesn't really work. It doesn't promote really, you know, exciting racing. Unfortunately, I don't think Hildebrand was the only one that was really able to make it work. And by that point, Pagano was already in another postcode. As I said, only four men on that lead lap by the time Pagano crossed the line. Yeah, if, if you really wanted to make a pass, you would have to get a great run out of a corner and then essentially dive bomb whoever you're trying to pass into the next corner before, you know, dirty air becomes an issue in the middle of the corner. And as IndyCar drivers will tell you, they're not fans of that at Phoenix at all. No, they're not fans of that at all. (laughs) Just saying, Graham. Just saying. Um... But, uh, yeah. That'll just about do it for the IndyCar Grand Prix of Phoenix. We'll get into the news and your mailbag right after this. too much in terms of news this week but a big one on Sunday morning of race day it was rumoured last week, it's now confirmed Sauber are going to be running Honda power units in 2018 yay Uh, yay Uh, part of me is a little, I'm a little, you know I'm skeptical first of all skeptical about the decision to go to Honda but most of all I'm scared because part one of, uh, of Eddie Jordan's batshit crazy prediction has come true. Well, you know what they say about you know broken clocks, right? Yes, you know, they're, they're still right twice a day. I mean, Eddie Jordan only gets credence for this because he called Lewis Hamilton going to Mercedes, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, yes, just, just so everyone at home knows, the three-part batshit crazy Eddie Jordan prediction of this year is one: Saber will be supplied by Honda next year to do two allow McLaren to go back to Mercedes power next year and also part three Fernando Alonso will race at Renault next year and I don't see any of that happening well he's got one out of three I suppose it's not it's not a complete disaster no matter which way you slice it but yeah I can't say anything I can't say I'm too optimistic about the other two because again to be fair, guys in the mailbag did ask us about this. The Eddie Jordan predictions and city season and whatnot. I think it was Joseph Torres was one of them. So shout out to you. And yeah, Josh Chatil was the other one. Happy birthday, Josh, by the way, if you're listening. Um, happy birthday, sir. Um, so yeah, like the question he was saying was that... Um, I'll get to him in a, in a minute, but I mean, King, we, we, Salba on Honda Power. We, we kind of talked about this last week, so we'll, we'll touch on it briefly here again. <sighs> It's been three years now at McLaren, and it seems they've made one step forward and two steps back with, with, with where they are right now compared to the field. Like, is this a money-saving thing with Sauber? Uh, I think for Sauber, yes, it's definitely for the money. 
and also they would no longer they wouldn't be the third Ferrari team anymore because since Haas came in there weren't the B team they immediately became the C team yeah, in the long run, it might actually be better than having last year's Ferrari engines that they can't upgrade constantly. I mean, that's that's a dead mule of, a, of an engine, no matter which way you slice it. And Ferrari's not going to throw Sauber that sort of bone, unfortunately. Not It's not like the days of the mid-2000s when they were giving them drivers and last year's car, basically. Um, those days are over. Um, and Sauber are resoundingly bottom of the board right now, and the constructors outside of McLaren, who... They're only behind them on countback, unfortunately, for better or worse. But yeah, and I, I think the the biggest winners in this situation is Honda. Yeah, I mean Honda. At best, they'll have a second team now, and being able to get in a second team can only be a good thing for them, right? Yeah, like it. Number one, most importantly, it gives them a low-pressure situation to, you know, actually develop their engine. They don't have to be under the McL- the McLaren gun of, we need to win now. Oh, the smoking gun. It's like, yeah, you make a very good point there. McLaren, I've said it before, we evaluate McLaren in the context of major championships. And McLaren is a former top-tier team that, you know, no matter which way you slice it, they want to be at the top. Like... Back where they were in 2014, even when they, the last year they had Mercedes power, they were anywhere between third and like eighth, and that's not good, really good enough for McLaren either. They like, they want wins and championships. That's what McLaren. That's what the that's what the mark of McLaren has been about over the last few years. And Honda, I don't think it's going to get there for them anytime soon. So this is still a, a pretty good place to start for them, though, right, King? Yeah, it's a good place to start. Yeah, they get low-press situation. They'll probably get a lot of data from having two more cars in the, on the grid. They have, you know, a new set of engineers to work with who could probably, they could probably try out some things to see what works best with the Honda engine. Very, very true. Very true indeed. So, again, it, it could work out in the long run for Sauber. Again, I hope financially it, it does them a favor because I'd rather see Sauber with, with uh, I'd rather see, um... Salba with Honda power than them not existing at all, and you know F one was already suffering enough from from that perspective of participation. So, yeah, I would like to see definitely like to see an improvement from that for for, for sure. Um, let's get into the mailbag, King, shall we? And first one from uh, Sinan de, uh, from Sinan uh, Sinan de, de Mirbas, I should say. Sorry if I butchered your name there, Sinan. Um, but he he said. Rebel has 57 points off the four races. Same as 20, exact same amount as 2016. Will it be enough to turn it around again from Spain onwards, or maybe even a bigger improvement? And he he, he showed photoshops of the two pictures, and I didn't even realize. Yeah, Red Bull have exactly the same amount of points they had this time last year: 57 through four rounds and 57 through four rounds. The big difference, though, is that Ferrari had 76 points last year. And now they have 135. Like, it, kind of a difference on this one. I mean, Red Bull are really, really good at developing mid-season. That's one of their strongest attributes as a team. And can they make up that deficit, King, and really get involved in that title race? How what, what do you feel about it? Uh, I don't know, because there's, yes, they could develop the car itself, and that's definitely going to help them. Mm-hmm. But there's the situation of the power unit, which they cannot develop by themselves. 
that's also a good point. Like they're 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 kind of at the beck and call of Renault, and they're rumored to be three temps behind the big two right now in terms of engine power alone. And we saw it in the race. Like Verstappen was a minute off the win in a fifty-two lap race, so it was over a second a lap slower than Bottas overall. And that's a massive, massive gap. It wasn't as bad as that last year, not 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 by a long shot. And there's now two teams that are seemingly on a similar level um, that are in the mix as well. So, guess you've got to wait and see on this one, huh? But yeah, um, I think I, I think I, we're really gonna need to wait and see see what because it's gonna be down to what Renault can pull out of the bag for them. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say is that they're already hinting at a B-spec car for Red Bull, maybe as early as Spain in two weeks' time. So we'll have to wait and see, again, again what, what the B-spec car can do. Because for Force India, for example, it worked wonders having the B-spec car. It put them right back into the points. Um, we'll have to wait and see if that holds up any more later on. Um, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um... Len Morrison asks, predict Bottas' career in terms of wins, championships, and team changes, etc. Go on, King. Talk about your mans. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, basically, this is going to become... A, uh, how would I book the rest of Valtteri Bottas' career? <laughs> he wins five rounds in a narrow championship defeat to Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel in third. Um, he goes back to Williams in 2018 and scores many seventh places, and he goes down as the one-hit wonder that he probably doesn't deserve to be. There you go. That's that, that's me. Are you sure? Like, ooh, ooh, how many years would you say Botas has left? Because at the end of this season, yeah, at the end of the season, he'll be 28 years old. So I would say maybe he would he would have eight years left in his career. Yeah, I'd say eight. Eight seems about right. Yeah, I would have him... Ooh, yeah, I'd have Vettel win his fifth this year. Next year, probably again partner with Hamilton for probably two more years until I think either Hamilton leaves the team or Botas leaves the team and then either Ocon or Verline come in to replace either of the two. I So you, so you think Toto takes up the option on Botas and can keeps him? After this yes, season. yes, I think he's gonna have a solid enough. He's gonna have a solid enough year at Mercedes this year to get the extension. Okay, that's fair. I can see it happening. I, I would, I would certainly lean to it happening more than it not happening. So, yeah, if, I, I'm gone. But if there is a team for Botas to go to that wasn't Mercedes down the line in his career, I'd probably say it would be Ferrari. Really. Yeah, I'd probably have him. I'd probably have him pegged down as a Ferrari guy. I don't see him go like unless like Williams really steps their game up. Like I don't see I don't see Valtteri Bottas leaving Mercedes unless it's for a team that could get him on the podium consistently. Fair, fair. Might need, might need another regulation change for that to happen, though, given what Williams are like. Hey, hey, like, he has eight more years in his career. The next time the regulations change is in... 2020, right? Yeah, tw- yeah, 2020. So there's time. There's time. There is time. We'll have to wait and see. Sounds good to me. Um, Charles Regimble asks, would you want to see IndyCar go international again? If so, where would you want to see them race? I'd put in a shout for Alton Park. Alton Park in England. <laughs> That'd be an interesting IndyCar place. 
Like, ooh, like there'd part be, of there'd me... Be, there'd be zero on-track overtakes, I guarantee you that. <laughs> Too small. But um, <laughs> if they could redo over Rockingham, that could work. Like, uh, me being a realist, like, I don't think, like, if they were to go international again, it would not be to Europe, unfortunately. No. No, they have too many American sponsors for that to pay off. Like, they'd have to go to somewhere like either the the Americas still, or like South America, or maybe yeah, I... like, maybe they've hinted at China race. Maybe. Oh, God. Uh, it's, it's, I don't think China's going to happen. They tried before, it failed spectacularly. Really? Hmm. Yes, because I, I, I think I was talking with um, with Zoe about this over the weekend, about the the Qingdao uh, 400 in Qingdao, China, that was supposed to happen for the 2012 season. That never materialized. Boo. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be a street race in China. But yeah, that was supposed to happen. It failed to, it failed to go through. I would say if any car were to go international again, you would be right. I'd probably say the Americas, because the driver lineup they have, they, it works well for time zones. It... it Everything says the Americas. If if I had to say someplace else, it would probably be Australia. Or, yeah, it'd probably be Australia because they've raced there in the past. They have Australian drivers. That would be a draw there. So I would love to see them go back to Surfer's Paradise. That could work. That could definitely work. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm down for that. I'm down for that. But in the Americas, I'd probably say like mm, like. Please, I want to see them go to Sao Paulo. I want to see them go to Interlagos. I don't want to see them run the street track again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Josette Torres asks, Got early speculation on 2018 driver changes. Is Ricardo's seat safe? What about Renault? Ferrari? Mercedes? Hashtag silly season problems. Also, okay. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna double that up with another question from Tyler Small, who asks, "Do you think this is the year Raikkonen finally retires, or will Ferrari keep him for another year if his results improve?" Kind of in the same ballpark, really. Yeah. Okay. Let let let's just try to map things out. Who do we know is going to be a free agent at the end of this year? Lewis. Okay. Yes, Lewis, Daniel Ricciardo, both Ferrari drivers. Both Ferrari drivers. Technically, Botas is a free agent because he has the, he, the team has an option on him for next year. So technically, he's a free agent as well. Fernando, yes, Nando is a free agent. Ricardo, yeah, we already mentioned Ricardo. So basically, yeah. all the top teams, their seats are open. Right. Like all it takes is one domino to fall, and it could all get a bit crazy. The question is, is that. I think the most likely domino to fall would probably be Raikkonen being pooted out of Ferrari, but I can't see it happening. Like, Ferrari have kept Raikkonen through worse situations than what they've got right now. Yes, yes. So, I, I don't, like, unless Raikkonen calls for a retirement, which is doesn't seem likely if you ask me, because... The way he's been going right now, he's shown no signs of retiring, even after becoming a dad as well. Like he's like Robin's in the paddock with him now. He still still seems perfectly fine to me. So, yeah, as it stands right now, it's yeah, it's it's unlikely to me that I think Raikkonen will actually walk away from that Ferrari team right now. Yeah, because, or Ferrari move him on. Yeah, because 
the only way Ferrari would get rid of Kimi is if there was someone that they could not deny getting. And the only, like, Ferrari doesn't hire young drivers, so sorry, no. Charles Leclerc. You could dominate Formula 2 all you'd like. Ferrari not going to sign you to a race seat right away. Yeah. And I don't see yeah. anyone being more appealing to them than Kimi at the moment. Like, unless, like, for some reason, like, they could somehow outbid Red Bull for, like, Max Verstappen, which that is never going to happen. No, like like Dr. Marco Valley seemed like an un, like an adopted child. There's no way he lets go of Max Verstappen. I think the only other option would be if Daniel Ricciardo says, I'm quitting this team. I don't think that's going to happen either. I think Ricciardo's I, I think that could ge- I think that could genuinely happen. I think that could genuinely happen. You, you think Ricciardo's sick of Red Bull shit by now? Based on like his comments in the press, what he said so far, saying that like even at the start of the season, he was like brutally honest, saying that Ferrari was the closest challenger to, to to Mercedes, not Red Bull. Yeah, I. It seems that like, like, like Ricardo's talked about it. They talked about it about this time last year in Monaco, saying that yeah, like I'm 28 this year and like my career still doesn't really amount to a whole lot right now. And he had a good point. I mean, last year's Monaco was just the man's first pole position. And he's still only got four career wins to his name, despite having two arguable driver of the season, you know, level seasons in in, in the books between them. So, like, if Ricardo retires tomorrow, he'd basically be like a, a half careered Heinz Harold Frensen. So, yeah. and that would be tragic, but. Um, because the guy's immensely talented. Yeah, I mean, um, that's, a, that's a big problem with Formula 1. And it's not... Like, I would say, like, the amount of, like, talented drivers in the field might be due to that. But I think it's largely due down to, like, you need to be in the right car to, if you want to be successful. And there's only two cars that you can really be successful in. And that is somewhat of a problem. So Yeah, that's somewhat of a problem because a Red Bull ain't one of them. Not right now, and it hasn't been for about two or three years now. Um, so yeah, I have to wait and see. I think yeah, I think Ricardo leaving has definitely got. You've talked me into it. I think Ricardo leaving is definitely a bigger chance than people think. But um, yeah, I don't think um, I don't think I don't think Raikkonen will, will be out of Ferrari anytime soon. I just I just don't think that'll happen. Um, Henry Chapman asks, "What's the most overrated track in the world?" Oh, I, I I didn't think we were done with the silly season talk, right? Oh, okay. Hang on, because we okay. we still got like what what happens to our I don't okay. I, I shouldn't say our man, but that other guy at Renault. You mean Jody and Palmer? Yes, Jody and Palmer. Do you do you think Eddie Jordan's <laughs> prediction of Nando replacing Palmer will be a thing? No. Next question. Um, do you think Palmer will stay? Next year at Renault. <laughs> yes, because he's got decent money. Um, no, for, on, all seriousness, with, with Fernando, I, I say this. Like, like, he's come too far to abandon McLaren now. He's going to ride it out for the rest of his career. Like, you could have said he, that about his time at Ferrari. Or his first, like, or his time at... Or his, like, first time at Renault. <laughs> no, to be fair, he had, done, he, had, he had done five years with them by that point. Like... <laughs> It was much more likely that he was going to move on. Like for me, and this is this is this is my humble opinion. Um, 
Like, the way Fernando's talking, like, he he throws his team under the bus every two minutes. Yeah, he's, he stands by them and always says he's going to improve. He's not going to go anywhere, King. Like, he's, he's too far gone for this now. He has to ride this out till the end now. Like, because, like, Mercedes were the only team that was willing to roll out the carpet for him. Like, Ferrari's not going to take him back. Red Bull, obviously, only hired from within their own. It, like, and Mercedes offered them the door... But he turned it down. So if he's well, he turned down Mercedes because he didn't want to be teammates with Lewis. <sighs> yeah, he he's willing to drive a McLaren Honda just because he doesn't want to drive with Lewis again. The man's ego knows no bounds. It's yes, it's it's, it's ridiculous, and that's a discussion for another day. But like Alonso has basically boxed himself into a corner now, like. Going to Renault is, does not solve anything right now. Like, Renault is not going to be that team again, especially when they've got Red Bull in the way. Like, that's going to be a, a, a... Like, if Renault keep improving, that's eventually going to be a stumbling block. And yeah, because if Renault improves, Red Bull improves. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, Fernando has boxed himself into a corner now. He has to ride this out. So, I don't think he's going to leave now. I think I think it's too late for that, King. At least, at least that's my take. But, like... How many seasons does Nando have left? As many as he wants. Like, Zach Brown clearly loves this man. He's willing to, to open an entire Indy 500 project for him at this point. Like, no one's going to stop him anytime soon, King. Like, this is this is it. Like, this is the prize jewel of the, of the crown here for McLaren. Like, they... like, I mean, like, realistically, how many seasons does he have left? At the end of this year, he's 36. I'd say at least another two or three. At least another two or three. I like. I, do you, I think do you Nando think, goes for as long as he wants. Really? Do you, do you think that that he's not going to drop off in skill? Like, you don't think that this 500 run might be... Like, if McLaren doesn't go full-time to IndyCar, Nando might just go himself to IndyCar. Well, and then you use IndyCar as an example where... Pardon me. Um, where Tony Canal and Helio Cash and Nemes are just celebrating their 20th anniversaries of being an IndyCar. Like, yes. And again, Helio hasn't really dropped off yet, and he's 40 now. And I think TK's 41 in the autumn. Um, like, I think, I think... It's hard to say because every driver is different, and we don't know when the wheels are going to fall off. Like, you can make the argument that Raikkonen is still good. You can also make the argument that Raikkonen's legs fell off about three years ago. And that he's not been the same since the back injury in 2013. Um, so it depends which way you want to slice it, really, I suppose. But I think but, uh, Fernando Alonso has set a fairly unhealthy precedent for his career where essentially he's only in it for championships and wins. Points isn't enough for him. Well, ha- well, that's the thing. He's probably going to wait out even longer then. He's going to wait for the for the opportunity to, to fall in his lap because he's Fernando Alonso. To be fair, he's been dining out on reputation now for the last five or six years, King. Like, Alonso's Five last... or six years? More like... Like, it's been over a decade since his last championship. I was being nice. <laughs> like, like, Alonso's last really good season was 2012. Like... He's he's had teams built around him since then, and he's still not been any better than he is than than he was than he was in two thousand and six. So, you know, this is Nando. Like F one adores this man. Like, in, in like 
like King, is there anyone more untouchable when it comes to criticism than Fernando Alonso in F1 right now? Because the mainstream press do not go at Fernando Alonso like they do at Lewis Hamilton even. Like, that's how ridiculous this has become. Like, Hamilton is so big now, he's polarizing. Fernando Alonso, everybody loves him. It's, just, it's, it's a different ball game with him. Uh, yeah, I'd say everybody loves him. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I was like yeah. for the most part, everyone loves Fernando Alonso. Like, I'm on the fence, but, like, I don't matter. <laughs> I'm I am on the other side of that coin. Make no mistake. Like like I think the man is washed, but you know, like he's he's still good enough to justify his seat because he has no competition. And Button was even more washed than him last year, really. But um, I don't think Alonso goes anywhere. I think he's got to ride this McLaren thing out as long as he possibly can. Um, I, I, I don't know if Renault hang on to Jody and Palmer, but. I mean, but I think is, Nano's gonna have to get ahead of himself over the parking stuff if you're not in the points. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 stupid. Like that was really stupid. Um, anything else you wanted to mention from City Season King? Uh, yeah, we already talked about Botas earlier this episode. I think obviously Lewis stays at Mercedes. I don't see him leaving Mercedes. <laughs> No, I don't either. Like, that's far too good a spot for him. Let's say, I, I, I think that's about it, really. I mean, the only, like, the, big, the biggest thing is, is that will Mercedes take the option on Val? If they, yeah. see, if, see if they do or don't. If, if they do take the option on him and they keep him around, then it could be a very underwhelming city season. If they Go. don't, all, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> yeah, like, if, like, if, like Jolyn Palmer does go, I think it's gonna be Oliver Rowland who replaces him. Lit. Uh, I'm I'm here for Ollie Rowland. Um, that'd be pretty cool. Um, him also against okay, Sorokin, a pretty darn good driver, so I'd be okay with that. But um, yeah, Jolyn. Oh boy. Um, less said on that one, the better. Yeah, he, I think. he he has time to turn it around. He has he time. Does. He does. Um, going back to Henry's question, overrated racetracks. Overrated racetracks. Ooh, this is <laughs> you. We we don't really talk about overrated racetracks that often. It's more mainly about the underrated ones. I'll give you two. Which 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 two do you think are overrated? Monza. I've always said Monza. To be fair, um, I've never been a fan of Monza. Um, and the other one, I've never been a particularly big fan of Interlagos either. Really, not a fan of Interlagos. Not really. I think it's... In the dry, it's a stinker. The only reason we talk about Interlagos is because it produces great races when it rains. Um, luckily, the climate in Brazil helps that out. But as a track itself... Eh, fun to play on racing games. Not particularly good for captivating Grand Prix unless the weather has an effect on it. I've never been a big Interlagos guy myself, to be honest with you. Like, if I really had to pick a track that I feel is overrated... Like, I don't think it's a terrible track. I just don't think it's a great track. Uh, the the Grand Prix circuit at the Nürburgring. Mm, okay, I can see it. I can see it. It's 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 a nothing burger of a circuit, really. I can kind of see where you're coming from. I Like, again, very fun to drive around, in my opinion. But, again, not particularly great for producing races it's hard to pass around it's not it, ideal yeah it's it's not really inspiring like there no. there's there's nothing really iconic about it like the rest of the Nürburgring is 
Yeah, it's just kind of like the add-on bit that you get in Project Gotham Racing 4 to me more than anything else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd definitely say so. The behemoth, as they would say. Okay, fair enough. And one more question to end the show from Zoe Hamilton. Indy 500 winner becomes mayor of the Speedway for a year. Yes or yes? <laughs> oh, God, I have to go into this story now. Another thing that also came up during the weekend that I th- it was... I think I mentioned it on Twitter in passing, but it, it blew up in our like private chat where yeah. I mentioned that most people don't know this, but because of like um for a variety of reasons, the Indianapolis the Indianapolis Motor Speedway isn't actually in the city of Indianapolis. It's surrounded by the city of Indianapolis, but it's in this small township called the town of Speedway. That was specifically started to have the Speedway. That's just blown my mind, that is. Like, it's not actually in Indianapolis. No, it's in this small, I would say, enclave. Because, it's yeah, technically it's an enclave because it's surrounded by the city of Indianapolis. It's It consists of the Speedway and also, like, uh, the neighborhood around the Speedway. So, technically, only 11,000 people live in Speedway, Indiana. Right. Yeah, they have their own town council. They have their own uh, police and fire department. Uh, like, I, th- oh, I think it's in our little Discord chat. I posted a picture of uh, Speedway Town Hall. I'll post it again in the Discord chat so you can see it. But it's like a small house. <laughs> <laughs> they have they have their town council meets ev- like. Uh, twice every... Yeah, twice every month. That's how small it is. Bloody hell. But again, like, uh... Like, I think James Hinchcliffe live... Like, James Hinchcliffe and Connor Daly, they both live in Speedway, Indiana. They have, like, combined, have, like, about ten times as many Twitter followers as the amount of people who live there. He's made it, y'all. He's, he's, made ma- he's made it. Hinchtown is ten times bigger <laughs> than Speedway. Fantastic. Oh god, um, let me let me find this real quick. But yeah, also talking about like technically Speedway also does not have a mayor. They have a town manager. A town manager? Yes, I don't. I don't know like how he's a like they obviously they do have elections in Speedway. I like <laughs> oh, it's it's a city of over three hundred thousand people, and you have another city in the middle of it that only has eleven thousand. Wow, again, that that's that's pretty mind blowing. That's and, I, like I, I I knew that was a thing. Like again, like. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway holds half a million people. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah. But yeah, just two blocks away is Speedway Town Hall, and I just posted a picture in the Discord chat. Yeah, I just saw that now. Yeah, that is... That's mental. <laughs> There's a house. <laughs> there, yep. There is the house. It is ridiculously small. Um... <laughs> That it's it's definitely a place to just visit for the absurdity of it all if you're ever around the speedway. <laughs> but yeah, uh, s- since technically Speedway doesn't have a mayor, should 
the winner of the Indianapolis 500 for a year become the mayor of Speedway if they win the Indianapolis 500. I'm down for this. And have the swearing-in ceremony in pit lane. Like, I hereby solemnly swear that I'll fulfill my duties as mayor of the town of Speedway in the state of Indiana. And on that note, I think it's time to end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll be honest with you, this didn't quite go the way we had it planned. Um, But, you know, we still got a two-hour show out of this somehow um so you know i hope you guys enjoyed the show anyway um places you can find us one last time youtube facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 respectively um or on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 we're on twitter at harrison 101 hd and at ryan eric king that's with two k's and if you really really like us we didn't mention them last time you can back us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 but until next time I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Ryan King. Thank you very much for listening. And I'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. For some reason, I just, like, I, I just had the Fast and the Furious in my mind, like, at the end, where, um, where, where Botas goes past Masa, and Masa just makes things a little bit, like, difficult for Seb. He, he didn't do it purposely. <laughs> but it's like, it, it was like Botas was like, family, and then Masa was like, family. <laughs>